got some good hands and feel. This is too good. It's not just the fact that he's won, it's the way he's played the match. He has a candy bar and an RC Coke. You are kidding me. Oh, come on, Marcus, come on. Oh, this is unbelievable. <laughs> Marcus brought some unbelievable energy to the court uh, um, with the fans and then with his play as well and with his personality. So it was very, very refreshing to play against an opponent like this, uh, you know, who draws in the crowds and uh, comes with some great shot making. Well, I'm not sure he can play on grass. That's, that's good. Hello, this is What You Talking About Willis, the podcast with me, Dave Earl, level five tennis coach and tutor, alongside former British tennis player and Wimbledon hero, Marcus Willis. Hence the title, What You Talking About Willis? We have a range of views and opinions on the show. We like to get a guest on to specialize on their subject within the field of tennis and basically answer the questions that players, supporters, or parents of budding tennis stars are constantly asking. Here's an example of some of the guests we've had on. Dan Travis, top tennis statistician. The battle, if you like, in a tennis match occurs in the first strike phase of the point. Every match you look at, particularly every Grand Slam recently, it's, it's the person who won the first strike contest wins. Nadal, for example, is really interesting because he's he's kind of like the opposite of, of Djokovic. So he'll he'll serve down the middle, what we call an inside serve. And it's inside because it moves the opponent inside the court. It's not yeah. where the server's going, it's what he's doing to his opponent. And then he'll hit what we call a cage um, shot normally a forehand straight down the middle which is very similar to Serena Williams and that's that's their cast iron first strike that you'll see ooh, I mean they just won't make a mistake on that in a, even in a five set match the Daily Mail tennis correspondent Mike Dixon I mean another difference now is that the proliferation of media training for the players which from what I can see is basically teaches them to be pretty much as bland as possible. Um, yeah. Which I think is productive in the end, because particularly in this day and age where it's a hugely competitive sports market, um, and you're, you're competing against other sports and personalities. Um, you, you really, you can't afford to just be bland all the time. Grand Slam winning coach, Justin Shering. And then as you get older and you find that your passion is tennis, I was interested in how to play and I was interested in how to win. I was interested in hanging out with my mates. But then you come into the coaching side of it. I'm really interested in not only the science, not only the technique and the tactics, but I'm interested in what makes people sort of tick and, and how we get players over the line and how we get them improving a bit quicker. And really it's that sort of sense of, sense of passion that you're able to convey and put over on somebody because if you see them even if you're lucky enough to see someone 20 hours a week it's nothing compared to the rest of their hours in their week how do you convince them to think about tennis for the rest of the time how do you convince them so much that that tennis is amazing and 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 it's their chosen um occupation if you like and i'm also reading a sort of ted talks book and the best ted talks ever they talk about passion all the time so as a fairly i'm a very emotional sort of person i love connecting emotionally and the ability to coach is the ability to communicate through emotion and passion aussie grand slam winning legend pat cash so i consulted uh, a bunch of 
scientists, doctors, and researchers who, who I who I, who I know. Uh, and and I said, listen, I can you? Can, I got the recording. And I said, listen, can you have a look at this? Am I missing something here? And they went through the recording, um, three of them, and they went, oh my god, well they can't believe they're saying this. I'm like, oh, you know, this was the they said, wow, uh, this is absolutely incorrect. And I said, well. Can we get the can we get the information? They said, "Well, if you do that, Pat, you're putting your neck out, and, and you're going to be, you know, you know, you're going to be crucified." And I said, "But hold on a minute, what's the alternative? Is actually yeah. give players wrong information?" Um, I said, "Oh, I'm quite willing to do that because I'm, you know, obviously a, fit, a health nut. Uh, I was right in my in my perceptions of uh, of their mis- misleading, um, misleading not all not all the questions, but just some of them, uh, which were very crucial ones." Um, and some of the things they couldn't answer. I'm just quite simply, what is in the vaccine? Um, uh, why, yeah. you know, the question like me was like, well, why are you pushing this? You don't even know what's in the vaccine, but you're saying it's absolutely, uh, 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 you know, I said, well, okay, just, can you get back to, or we'll get back to you on that. And I said, okay, well, of course, they never have, have they? <laughs> Competition organiser, Barry Fulcher. The LTA know it's broken, hence why we're changing it, but that hasn't been communicated to players and parents who are spending thousands of pounds chasing a rating that is acknowledged as being, it doesn't, it doesn't represent level. So shouldn't that be communicated and say, look, you don't need to do that. It's irrelevant. Look for good quality competition. Because the rating system, I I've seen, saw a report 10 years ago that, that said these are the problems that are going to happen, and they all have happened. And yet here we are, only just changing it now. So I, I could go into many, many, you know, all, all the reasons Matt, I'm sure, has given as well of how it's broken. But the positive is that it's finally changing. Well, you mentioned Julian Cash, and he didn't use that rating system to become a good player, did he? No, I mean, there's no, he, he, I think I would encourage players, you know, going back to why the progress to on why I want to remain agnostic because the, the obsession with any rating isn't healthy. And I would encourage any player to seek the experience, whether that's tennis Europe's, whether it's uh, ITF, and, and go out and seek good quality competition. That the number behind your name should happen in the background. British tennis legend, John Lloyd. In the Australian Open finals, in my day was not like it is today. Um, you know, a lot of the top players didn't play because it was, it was held on the 26th of December. And a lot of people, idiots they were, in my opinion, they didn't want to spend Christmas and, and the lead up to Christmas in Australia. And I'm like, okay, let me think about this. Do I want to spend Christmas in England where it's freezing cold and snowing and icing or do I want to go to Australia for six weeks when it's 80? Let me think about, let me think about that. Oh yeah, I'll choose Australia. So of course, you know, uh, the, the, a lot of the guys went out there, but the big guys didn't show up anyway. I got to the finals, but just by chance during those two weeks, a buddy of mine who, the late, uh, great Vitas Gerolaitis, who passed away sadly when he was 40 years old, um, we were, we were buddies and we just started just by chance kind of said, Look, do you want to be practice partners during the week? Or during the two weeks, I didn't know if I was going to be in the second week, but he was number three seed, so he, he expected to. So we hit and played every day. And I'll be honest, we went out every night as well, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and we were going out, we used to go out with all of the drivers. In those days, they weren't taboo like it is now, where you can't, can't fraternise with 
well, half of them are men drivers anyway, so I wouldn't want to fraternise with them anyway. But, 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 the, but in those days, it was just it was just the women drivers, and and we were allowed, and and there were no holds barred on sort of going out with them. So we did, and 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 most nights, and we'd practice, and then, and then the, you know before the finals, you know, we went out to dinner that night, and I said to him, "Well, Vitas, it's my first Grand Slam final, and your first. I mean, are we going to practice tomorrow?" And he's, he looked at me and he said, well, are you going to learn something new about my game? <laughs> of course we're <laughs> going to practice tomorrow, you idiot. So we practiced like an hour before the finals. Here's Alistair Hyam talking about winning matches. Players who become obsessed or coaches who become obsessed or parents who are really looking for why don't they play in matches like they play in practice? Surely there's something wrong with the forehand or the serve. Uh, I would say they're largely barking up the wrong tree. It's much more to do with how you deal with the pattern of the match, how you deal with the swings that can cause a surge in momentum, the turning points, the start of the match, the middle of the match, the end of the match, solving problems as you go through than it is to do with uh, how you hit it. Because if it was just to do with how you hit it, then the better players who look the better players would always win. And of course, we know they don't. But it's not just about the guests. We also asked for listener reaction on a range of subjects, including this one, which is who's your local legend? This is from Patrick at Limpstone, um, which I believe is in the southwest somewhere. And it says, hi, Marcus and Dave. Love the podcast and guests. So thanks for breaking up lockdown a bit. Well done. Always start with a compliment. Your yeah. email gets read first. Yeah. Uh, I had to email in about local legends. I play in the Dorset League and we've got quite a few. My team are pretty useless, especially compared to you, Marcus, but we win more than we lose, and I can't wait to get back out there, even though we play some right weirdos. Um, I, I, mean I read that as, but we're as good as Dave is. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> especially you, Marcus. Dave would probably have you on our day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can feel the break. <laughs> God, I haven't even read that. Yeah. God. <laughs> mate um, <laughs> so he goes on to name a few of the local legends there's one guy who still uses a wooden racket he gets he says he gets a better feel from the ball we beat him quite easily he's actually won a rubber or two against the other team <laughs> he gets more feel from it that's incredible he gets more feel from the wooden rackets yeah because wood is known for feel <laughs> um, I mean, is it? An, so I, it's not a new wooden racket, right? They're not still making wooden rackets, are they? No, I don't. I don't so think they're banging this, them out in Chinese factories now. So this is a racket <laughs> from 1980. Or <laughs> Local carpenters just come come back come back into work. Right? Yeah. 